Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan at Adam Vingan. Go to The Athletic, of course. Pay for good journalism, theathletic.com. And, of course, rate, review, subscribe, share the product. We do appreciate it. There is a losing streak. This is going to happen at some point, and we talked about it on multiple episodes. It has taken place. We will dive into why it's taken place, some of the more concerning signs with this team, and some of the more positive signs with this team. We'll do some of that. UC Soros dependency, the All-Star game. Uh, We had a media kerfuffle in Canada, Adam, that we will talk about a little bit later on in the show. And then in the back half after the break, we'll discuss a little bit about this forward group. We'll, We'll try to keep it positive too today, which is... Is, is is this the deepest collection of goal scorers that this franchise has ever seen? And we'll give you some historical data and context so that we can kind of make a judgment call on that as as this team has a lot of guys who are, are scheduled to, to be over certain benchmarks in terms of scoring. So before we do all of that, however, Adam, this podcast, The Gold Standard, is in fact brought to you by the wonderful folks at Jasper's. It's what's for dinner, but also lunch and maybe brunch. Brunch sounds good right now. I haven't left my house in like a week and a half. I could use some Jaspers. <laughs> it would be it would be wonderful right now. Um, when's the last time you had a good brunch, Adam? You know, you got a new baby. You're not doing a lot of brunches these days, are you? We actually went out for brunch over the weekend. Oh, nice. I stand, I sit and stand and pod corrected. My apologies. Jaspers is a great place to go for brunch. Parking is free. The food is wonderful. The drink specials are great during Preds games. Home and Road, $3 smash burger, $10, $10 smash burger. That'd be a very cheap burger. $3 beers, $10 smash burger. And of course, the gold standard cocktail named after this here podcast. All right, Adam, losing streak. It happened four straight. Uh, a lackluster performance against Buffalo on a Thursday night, an overtime loss in which they battled pretty hard against Boston. They lose to St. Louis after taking a two goal lead and then give up four straight. Um, a, a first period in which they dominated they were up two nothing. They did not allow a shot for the first nine minutes. I think they had a 13 to nothing shot lead at one point during that game. Uh, then they lose, they score again first against Vancouver on Tuesday night and give up three consecutive goals in that game. So they've given up 16 goals. Three of these games started by UC Soros, David Riddich, of course, starting the Tuesday night game against Vancouver. We sort of knew like this is going to happen. It's part of this, the season. It's the longest losing streak of the year. They hadn't lost more than two straight since basically the first week of the year. So this was going to happen at some point. The question is, why did it happen? And can they can they end it? Can they nip it in the bud and, and course correct in a quick, timely manner? Because it's okay to do this for four or five games. You cannot do it for eight, nine, ten games because that can cost you a playoff spot. We've already seen this team go from first place in the entire Western Conference to third in the division in a matter of four games. Why did it happen, and can they correct it quickly? Well, perhaps I I should take some blame for this because last week when we recorded after the game against the Colorado Avalanche, the team's last victory, I I said this team might be slum-proof. Clearly (laughs) not. Um, I mean, it's as simple. When you look at the results as a whole, it's as simple as they're not getting the type of goaltending that they were getting through most of the season. And there are, there are certain things, specific things um, that have, that have plagued them in these four games, for instance, um, in the loss to the St. Louis blues, the one thing that 
John Hines, and I believe it was Philip Forsberg who spoke via Zoom after that game. The things that they were talking about were the the rush defense. Um, they had given up in that game too many odd man rushes. I believe Sport Logic credited the Blues with eight odd man rushes over the course of that game, which is of course far too many. Uh, I believe the Predators did a much better job in terms of uh, preventing the Canucks from having the same amount of odd man rush opportunities on Tuesday. But frankly, perhaps I was wrong in, in, in saying that this team is slump proof because quite frankly, I'm not sure there are any teams that are slump proof. I have to imagine that if you went through the schedules of every top team in this league, there's a, a three game skid or a four game skid. Now, of course, the league will call it a winless skid because according to the league, if you gain a point in overtime, you're not on a losing streak because you gained <laughs> a point. Um, so the league calls it winless versus losing. To them, a losing streak is when you lose games in regulation in a row versus it's very, it's, it's very soccer, you know, like we've had we've had um, nine straight weekends without a loss. Okay. But we had so I'm looking at these though. I'm looking at the five on five numbers over the past four games for the Predators, according to um, natural statric. And of course, as I do that, um, they disappeared. Now they're back. Uh, so the <laughs> Predators at five on five have been outscored 10 to six over the past four games. So that's a goals for percentage of 37.5. They're expected goals against goals for percentage over those four games is 53.35. Now, if you even adjust that uh, for score and venue, understanding that every venue uh, tracks things differently, as well as the score effects, uh, the Predators expected goals percentage over those four games is 52.63. So when you look at that, quite frankly, it shows that the Predators ha- have not been getting the same bounces that they have um, over the course of the season. Um, and the goaltending has not been up to snuff in recent games. What- what's amazing to me is um, on the broadcast last night. So first of all, David Riddick started the game last night, went a Tuesday night because you're listening to this on Thursday um, or later on Tuesday night. It was Riddick's first appearance at home this season. So that's one thing that's amazing. The fact that it took until mid-January for the Predators' backup goaltender to make any appearance at home, not even in relief. Uh, and the second thing... Now, that's also because he was on COVID and Conor Ingram started it. Right. right? Okay. Yes, he did miss a few weeks at the beginning of the season in COVID-19 protocol. Which, 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 by the way, giving up 16 goals in four games and you don't have Matias Ekholm or Dante Fabro in, what, two of those games? That's two of your top four defensemen. So let's also that's also a big factor here as well. The other thing that was amazing was on the broadcast last night. I don't have the exact date in front of me, unfortunately. But the you know according to Bally Sports, it has been five years, six years. It's been six years since the Predators had a goaltender other than Pecorine or UC Soros win a game at home. It was during the 2015-16 season, and I know that because they were in the highlight they showed on the broadcast, they were wearing the All-Star game patch. So it was the 2015-16 season. Carter Hutton 
was the last goaltender other than Pecorine or UC Soros to win a game at Bridgestone Arena. Six years. That's just incredible in its own right. Well, and I think that tells you two different things. And number one, this is the first year in a long time, like you just said, six years probably. And I got on the beat in the in the Stanley Cup year, six, fall of 2016. And I have never once had a concern when the starting goaltender, whoever it was, whether it was Pekka or UC, I never had a concern or a, a thought or a feeling about a drop-off when the starting guy wasn't in there. It doesn't mean that, you know, I wouldn't have rather had Pekka for most of those games or when UC was hot and Pekka was the backup, that I wouldn't rather have UC. But I never felt concerned about the outcome of the game. I, that's just a luxury that most teams don't have. And to have it for as many years as they did, I think now it's not anti-David Riddick. I'm not like, this guy's atrocious here or he sucks or whatever. He's just not as good as those other two guys. And it's just obvious that when he starts a game, you sort of feel like you're very clearly starting a backup. And that's just what that's what most teams have to go through in the NHL. Right. And it, and we'll get into this conversation a little bit more um, later. Um, but what's interesting is we talked about how when you start with the second half of last season, I guess even through the game against the Avalanche, the team's last win, you know, from a points percentage perspective they're a top 10 team thereabouts. I don't remember the exact ranking, but they're in that general area. I want to say they were um, top five. Yes. I have to go back and crunch those numbers, but you know, this is the team's longest win list slash losing streak in at least a few years. And what's interesting to me is, you know, in the comment section, of my most uh, recent story on the athletic, there were fans slash readers slash subscribers who were almost celebrating uh, the fact that the predators had dropped four consecutive games because to them it would um, remove any pretense that this team is any good and that it would force the team to do the things that perhaps they should have done last season before the turnaround. Um, and I know that fans are fickle as fuck. I, you know, as a, as a fan of, of my own of teams, I can understand that though. I would not actively root for my team to lose. Um, if it meant, you know, changing the trajectory of the franchise, you can argue whether or not that makes you a, a real fan or not. Um, I'm sure people will love this conversation. No, no. I, um, I, but... I Listen, I think it's completely fair to say, I don't think this team has Stanley Cup championship upside, and therefore I don't want them to spend $60 million on Philip Forsberg, and I think they should cash out now with him and acquire as many pieces as possible to continue building what looks like a pretty nice foundational future full of young, talented pieces. And the other guy to say, no, 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 wait a second. They're in third place in the division. They're one piece away from maybe being a Stanley Cup champion. I, I, I don't have a problem with either sides of those arguments. I think my issue with you, Adam, <laughs> as I said last week, is that you jump from both sides to the other quickly, like an NFL fan would. Like, like every week in the NFL, you have to overreact to everything. It's like it's the most important thing in the world. It's one 60-minute game, and then you overreact to everything. And I think in hockey, you just have to be so conservative with your sweeping statements. Like you said, they were slump-proof last week, and now we're like, oh, no, they're, they're a third-place team. I, I don't think – like, I'm not throwing that back in your face. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I just think that in hockey, you have to look at, like, 20-game sample sizes. 
like 30 game sample sizes. You can't look at four game sample sizes or a two week stretch and say, and, and be like the hot take radio guy who says this team is perfect. This team is awful. I just think it takes a lot of time for hockey. And it's why I've never moved off of, okay, my expectations have gone from non-playoff to playoff, but I'm not going any higher than that. I still think this could be a wild card team or a third, a three seat. I'm not going any higher than that yet. So to answer my own question, I went back <laughs> and looked at um, the, the, the overall record from the start of the second half of last season um, through uh, the day after the game against the Avalanche. That's I have March 18th, 2021 through January 12th, 2022. That's 64 games. The Predators had a points percentage of 695, which was sixth in the NHL behind Colorado, Carolina, Toronto, Florida, and Pittsburgh. So, you know, do, you know, perhaps, you know, I, I understand, you know, that sometimes I, like many people, can get swept up in in, <laughs> in, in, in certain things. But I think a 64-game sample is a pretty strong no, that's sample. True. That's true. So, that's it, you know, it's not, you know, it's, you know, to me, that's, you know, that's three quarters of a full season. So, you know, is it, you know, is it a bulletproof sample? By no means. But it's a pretty strong sample that this team was 43-18-3 in those 64 games before this recent skit. So, you know, I... What was, like, that? What was I, that record again? 43-18-3. All right. When you say it like that, um, I hear what you're saying. Fair enough. If you want to do it by overall points, not points percentage, and keeping in mind that not every team has played the same amount of games, the Predators are tied for third. Colorado has 93 points in 62 games in that stretch. Florida has 90 points in 64 games. Carolina is tied with Nashville and Vegas with 89 points, though Vegas has played 68 games, Carolina 61, and Nashville 64. So that's a, you know, from that's a, a that's a pretty big sample size. I, I, right. will, so I, I will give you that. When, yep. when you look at that sample, I think it was, I think it was safe enough to make a, a statement about the way this team was trending. Um, you know, when you look at these games, you know, per, you know, you can't make this, you know, they don't make the schedule, but playing Buffalo two nights after playing Colorado was probably like the worst possible thing. Um, you know, I think they were due for a letdown. Yep. Um, yep. And when you go from playing, you know, your division, your, you know, your heated division rival to like one of the worst teams in the league, you know, I, I think that's, you know, I think that's what we like to call a trap game in our business. Um, you know, Boston and St. Louis um, are, are very good teams. Um, and, and Vancouver, I believe, is now 10-3-1 since Bruce Boudreaux became coach. So it's not like, you know, other than Buffalo, you know, they haven't been losing to bad teams, but then of course, if you're the fan in the comment section, um, arguing, you know, well, not arguing, celebrating this team's apparent demise, you know, you're using that against the team as saying, see, they can't stack up against the top teams in the NHL. They're losing to Boston. They're losing to St. Louis. Well, they also just beat Vegas and, you know, Colorado. and Colorado. So you know, it's an inter you know, it's an interesting time. Remember last week we were talking, I was, we were talking about mailbag questions about whether this team should be buyers at the trade deadline. I think, you know, we're all guilty of at some point or another 
being swept up in um, you know, the, the way the season goes and, you know, unlike football where you have one game a week and then you're spending that entire week reacting to that game and making sweeping judgments based right. on one game, um, you know, with hockey, you're playing every other day. It's a little bit more difficult to do that. So yeah. I do think, I do think that this is cause I'm, I find those types of folks interesting. Like, I don't know why you would it's one thing to have an opinion about your team and think that this team isn't good enough. And I, I don't know if they should be like, I don't think they should resign Forsberg. That's my personal opinion as both a media member and a predators fan. But like, I don't like, that's just my opinion. It doesn't mean I'm rooting for them to lose games. I, I, I do find it interesting though, that where they're at or where they're trending towards, in my opinion, which is sort of a third place finish. Like, I think they're right where they should be right now. Like a top four or five team in the Western conference, they're a third place team in the division. That's kind of where I, if I was projecting where they were going to finish, that's where I would bet they would finish. If that is in fact where they are at the trade deadline, it's all, it's sort of like the best possible case scenario and the worst possible case scenario mixed into both. And I, let, let me explain what that means. So the best pace, best case scenario is that you've, you've taken this competitive rebuild and accelerated the entire process. You're clearly better. The identity is there. The four check is there. Goaltending is there. The young players have developed you're almost ahead of schedule and you're in the postseason, right? But it's also worst case because it means you don't really know what to do with Forsberg. It's it's almost like the best and the worst case at the same exact time. And I that's maybe why fans are, are polarizing towards opposite ends, right? Like win a cup or be buyers or see, I told you so this team sucks. Does that make sense? I'm looking at, I just sorted the Western Conference standings by points percentage. Let me tell you the three teams that are ahead of the the Predators in points percentage in the in the Western Conference: Colorado, Minnesota, and St. Louis. What do those three teams have in common? They're in the Central Division. You know the Predators are in a yeah. tough division, yeah. and 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 I get and I get it. Like if you know the worst place to be, and we talked about this last last season, the worst place for any team to be, not just in hockey but in any sport, is in the middle. Like you either want your team, like if you were talking about hockey, if we're talking about hockey this season, you either want your team to be like the Florida Panthers who are, you know, kicking ass and taking names, or you want to be the Arizona Coyotes where, who are actively trying to lose. Like you don't want to be a team that, you know, you don't know what to make of them. And there are plenty of those teams and the Predators have really been that team now for a couple of seasons. De decades, a couple of decades. <laughs> You know, what's funny is even when you go back to the 2018-19 season, that was the season they lost to Dallas in the first round of the playoffs. The Predators won the Central Division that season, but yeah. they needed like a winning streak at the in the last week of the year to win the division. And I think we can all agree, you know, especially in hindsight, that even though that team won the division, I think those of us who watched that team every day knew that that team was not as good as their record indicated. No. And, you know, and that was the year that they, you know, the, the predators, they, they traded for Brian Boyle. They traded for Wayne Simmons. They traded for Mikhail Granlund, you know, at or near the trade deadline. Um, Cause they were still going for it. Um, and, and that's the funny thing. Could not score a power play goal to save their lives. They could not. I mean, they were over in, in the, in the postseason, And, you know, what's interesting, it's going to be interesting to see what, if, if the predators, if the predators stay in this general area for the next couple of months, 
where they're oscillating between second place, third place, maybe first place if they go on a winning streak. If they're staying in the top three in the central division, it is going to be interesting to see how they approach the deadline because one, historically, David Poyle has never been one to make a splash at the trade deadline or around the trade deadline. You can look at some of the moves he's made and he's made some big moves and taken some calculated risks. But when you look at the players that he's acquired in the re- in recent times during the trade deadline, you're talking about the players I just mentioned, Brian Boyle, Mikhail Granlin, Wayne Simmons. You're talking about Ryan Hartman. You're talking about Corbinian Holzer and Eric Goodbranson. Yeah, but and- Hartman, Hartman was a first round pick, though. Like they like, um, yeah, they 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 took a risk, but the, you know, they are not the team, you know, like I don't know who the most sought after player at the trade deadline this year. It might like I think it might be might be like, Forsberg. <laughs> yeah, it might be Forsberg. No, like Tomash Hurdle from the San Jose Sharks. You like the Predators are like the Predators are not a team that goes out and gets the biggest available right. player at the trade deadline. That's just not what they do. So, you know, to me, um, I think the biggest risk this team can take at the trade deadline if they stay in this general area is holding on to Philip Forsberg unsigned and hoping that he re-signs after the season. Or one thing they can do, which does happen on occasion, is you can trade a player's negotiating rights during the offseason. Here's my one pushback. I I agree with everything you're saying, um, and I, I agree. I don't think that they're like currently, as they sit, tied with St. Louis and Colorado atop the division, like, or, or just behind them ahead of everybody else in the other division. Like, I don't think being fourth place in the conference is the quote middle. It's close to the middle. I still would call that the top tier. So I don't think that now I'm like poly positive here. Uh, if they are in third place in the central division and in fourth place in the Western conference, to me, that's a great place to be. It, it, it makes their trade deadline decisions very difficult, but it's a great place to be considering where this roster was last season and the competitive rebuild and changing all the big pieces in the off season and everything. I think I trust certain things. I, I trust UC. They're a very UC Soros dependent team. And I trust UC Soros. I trust the defense when they are all out there. I think Benning and Borvietsky have been really good as a third pairing. And when Ekholm and Fabro and Carrier and Yossi are all out there, those six, I trust that group really, really strongly. I trust the John Hines identity now. So I think this team has some staying power. I just don't think they're a top two or three team in the Western Conference or even four, maybe. That's good enough to give them a playoff series, which, and we're going to have a longer conversation in a few minutes about like sort of the depth of scoring on offense. And is this is an un, is this an unprecedented level of goal scoring talent that this team has? If they've got a defense, a coaching identity, and a goaltender that I trust, and they get into the playoffs as a three seed in the Central Division, I don't know. You're sort of saying, all right, let's see what happens. Like, I'm fine with that if I'm a Predators fan. Like, I'm, I, I think that's overachievement, and I think that's ahead of schedule. So I think the question that Predators fans are going to be asking themselves if this team stays in that general area is the same question they were asking themselves as we approached the trade deadline last season. Can this te- Is this team good enough to beat the Minnesota Wild in a first-round playoff series? or to beat the St. Louis Blues in a first-round playoff series? Like, that's that's the question. And what's funny is, fan, like, fans will, fans and media members will say, no, the Predators can't beat the St. Louis Blues in a seven-game seven playoff series, so what's the point? 
But the problem is that's not how the people who actually make the decisions think about these things. <laughs> so it's like, so you're not going to get David Poyle to say, man, we have no chance against the blues. So I'm just going to sell everything right, that's not right, nailed right. to the floor. Like that's just not how this works. So I understand predators fans who are skeptical of where things are and are using this past week as the cudgel against them to say, see, they yeah. were fool's yeah. gold this whole time. But, you know, if let's say, as we record this on Wednesday, the Predators beat the Jets and they beat the Red Wings and then they go on the road and beat the Kraken. And those are the next three games before we record. If they go 3-0 in those games, then we're not having that conversation. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, that's that's just the way it is. But I know you wanted to talk a little bit about UC Soros's you know, the reliance on UC Soros. Now, this is pretty amazing to me. So since UC Soros returned from his injury last season, again, that's that March 18th date that I regularly reference. Here is the breakdown of starts for Predators goaltenders over the past 10 months. Are you ready for this? Hit me. UC, UC Soros, 56. David Riddich, 6. Pecorine, 4. Connor Ingram, two. So the Predators have played 68. No, that actually, that's not true. Well, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, they've, played, they've played 68 games since mid-March of last season. And UC Soros has started 56 <laughs> of the 68. And if you want to look at that from a league-wide standpoint, that 56 games is the most in the league. Andre Vasilevsky is second at 52, and Connor Hellebuck is third at 51. So if we're talking about workhorse goaltenders over the past 10 months of this, of the NHL calendar, UC Soros is unmatched in his workhorsiness. Workhorsiness is that what you said? Yes. <laughs> That's my favorite. And also along the lines of the record you laid out, the points percentage over the last 60, whatever you said, 68 game, 43, 18, and three, which I think yeah. is 64 games. That's basically the same span. So the dependency on UC Soros, the success of the team, all the young talent, all the Heinz identity stuff, it's still all tied back to UC Sorrow. So I think that's a good thing because if he's hot and you're riding him in the postseason, you can beat anybody. You ask, can they beat us? They almost beat the Carolina Hurricanes with a team that is nothing like this team. I, I just, they can beat anybody in a seven game series. I don't have a problem with that. My, my question is, can they win three series? And I don't know if they can do that. that. That's where I don't think they have the talent, the depth, and the upside yet to do that. But that, that again, that's that's why we play the games in the NHL playoffs. That is no question about it. All right. Uh, when we come back, I want we'll have a Leon Dreisaitl commentary, his little tiff with the media. Um, we will talk about the All-Star game. But also, is this the deepest collection of goal scorers the Nashville Predators have ever had? When we return right here on the Gold Standard. The gold standard, Adam Vingan of The Athletic, Pay for Good Journalism, is brought to you by... It's brought to you by Jaspers, says Henry the dog. Yes, Henry. Henry's very excited. What are you doing out there, Henry? Um, go to Jaspers. The parking is free. Are dogs allowed at Jaspers? That's a great question. It is named after a dog. It's named after Jack it Russell. It is named after a dog, and they do have a patio when it's nicer outside. I, so I think... One I think it is dog-friendly. What here's the thing. Why don't you just go to Jasper's Bring show your dog. The patio with the dog and see if they kick you out? I don't know if Jasper's likes that idea, but somebody should try it. Obviously, here, here's the other thing, Adam. New New Year's, we talked about this 
a lot of folks trying to get back in shape, stay healthy. There's obviously a smash burger for those of you who just want a cheat day and you want to go to Jasper's. They can help you with your cheat day because I got a $10 smash burger during Preds games, home and road, $3 beers for happy hour for Preds games. However, if you were perhaps maybe trying to get back in shape, like I probably need to do, they've got all kinds of wonderful items that are very health forward, very smart, health conscious, all that good stuff. You can still go drink some cocktails, watch the Preds game, drink a gold standard cocktail and eat like shrimp and goodies which is like a really spicy potato shrimp salad. Delicious, healthy. They've got avocado toast. They've got the like the Super Bowls. they got all kinds of cool stuff at Jasper's that you don't get at your average sports bar. Adam, did you know they are called and referred to by many people as the next evolution of the sports bar? Many people are saying that it is the next evolution of the sports bar. That's what I've heard for however long we've been doing this podcast. And it's true. It's true. I have I have gone to Jasper's to watch games. I've gone to Jasper's to eat, and there happens to be a game on, and I wind up watching the game. Um, Arlo's been to Jasper's as he cries in the background. Everybody wants to get in on this uh, yeah. Jasper's app. Uh, Henry and Henry, we should take Henry and Arlo <laughs> to Jasper's. Babies are allowed. I'm, we'll see if dogs. The difference, of course, is Henry is a big dog. Yeah, um, your your little pretzel, your little pretzel. You could probably hide in like a purse. Yes, pretzel, pretzel is a, is a little dog, so you, you can get away with that. Henry takes up a lot of space. He's a big dog. Um, he does. So he does. He's, he, he's a good. He is a good boy. So um, all 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 in all, Jasper's is an excellent place to go, no matter what time. Whether you're <laughs> looking to pig out or watch yourself, everybody can be happy. At Jasper's. Who gets kicked out of Jasper's or is more annoying at Jasper's first? Henry or Arlo? I think it would be Henry. I think it would be Henry too because he might try to eat someone's food. Yeah. It's also hard to kick a baby out. It's just hard. Yeah. Even on an airplane. It's tough. Henry Don't- is a Henry. I'm sure I haven't. I'm not sure I've seen Henry stand on his on his hind legs, but I'm sure he gets up there. I'm sure he can. I'm sure he can put his front legs on a high top if he stands yeah. up. Yes, he could, but he's he actually I don't. He plays with me in the yard like that occasionally, but I'm not sure I've ever seen him put his paws on anything. He doesn't get on our furniture. He's like the best dog ever. So says every single dog owner in the history of the world, just like my kids are the best kids ever created. Uh, Go to Jasper's, everybody. The parking is free. It's the next evolution of the sports bar. All right, before we get into the depth of scoring, I got a lot of historical context to throw at you here, Adam, in just a second. Um... All-star game rosters. I, I, I'm i bothered by this every year. UC Saros, of course, the only guy that gets voted into the all-star game. Uh, it's his first all-star game, I believe. Totally deserving. What is it, 11 players per division on a roster? Is that right? And I know the format of the of the, the actual game where you have like each division playing each other and it's like three-on-three. Three. Like It creates a really fun, entertaining watch. I get all of that. But the idea that you have got, what, seven teams in a division and 11 all-stars to represent those seven teams. I feel like that's kind of stupid. So I don't know if this is, if this is how it is in other sports. Um, you might know better than me for, in terms of the other four, excuse me, the other three big league all-star games. Do those leagues require every team to be represented? Um, I think the, the major league baseball requires everybody to have a team. Every, every, uh, every, sorry, every team has to have a player. The pro bowl. I don't think the other ones do. I'm not sure about that, to be honest with you. But 
as Nathan McKinnon, who is the captain of the Central Division All-Star team, said when the original rosters came out, Nazem Kadri was not included on, on the roster. Um, and he said, it's an all-star game, not a participation game. That was his quote, um, <laughs> because he did not believe that every team needed to have someone there. He even said a few years ago when they, the Avalanche were by far the worst team in the league, and I believe he was the representative, that he probably shouldn't have even been invited because nobody on the Avalanche that year were, was any good. What's amazing to me about this roster, the, all, the Central Division roster in particular, is that there is only one defenseman. Kale <laughs> McCarr is the only defenseman on the roster. So I'm, try, I'm looking at the other teams. So the Metro Division has three defensemen, Adam Fox, Adam Pellick, and Zach Warinsky. The Pacific, okay, the Pacific team also only has one defenseman, Alex Petrangelo. So the Pacific has one defenseman, Metro has three, Central has one, Atlantic has two. Make defensemen great again. This is this is absurd. Like, here's, I guess the question is, what do you want the game to be? And if you want it to be a representation of all, like I, I grew up loving the baseball all-star game because I love to see like my New York Met get in the game even when they were bad. So like I, my favorite player got to do that. And so I get why like kids want to see one of their representation, like one of their players on the team. I, I guess it just feels like it's too small, but I know because the rosters are cut to three and the games are like six minutes long or whatever, eight minutes, 10 minutes, what are they? 10 minute periods. I don't remember what they are, but it, it feels wrong that Roman, like Roman Yossi could be the best defenseman in the NHL this year and is not an all-star. And I, and I'm not one who cares about this stuff. I don't care about the actual award, whether or not he got named an all-star or not. Like I actually don't care, but if I'm a fan, it feels like the NHL all-star game does it worse because of this, the amount of teams that are in each division and how many players are on a roster. Like it just feels like it could be better. I don't know. I, I wonder if the novelty of the three-on-three has worn off a little bit. Of course, we were spoiled here in Nashville because that was the first year of the three-on-three, and that was awesome to see in person. Um, I'm wondering if it should be changed somewhat. I remember back in the day, the, um, the NHL had some interesting all-star game uh, formats in terms of how the teams were laid out. You know, they, of course, they did the Eastern Conference versus Western Conference. There was a time where I believe they did North America versus the world. So they yeah. had the top yeah. Canadian and American players versus the best European players. Um, so I don't know if you do something like that, where you have three on three teams that are represented by country. I don't know. I'm just wondering if the divisional three on three format has has reached its. Uh, I don't I don't think it has because it's one of the few that I'll continue to watch. But. I do think that all-star games in general are are a thing of the past. Like our sort of, it's very nostalgic for me. I, I don't watch the Pro Bowl. I don't watch the NBA All-Star game. I used to watch the dunk contest and the Pro Bowl and Major League Baseball. I used to watch everything. I actually watched the NHL game more than I watched the other ones. But I just think the whole entire concept is sort of kind of silly. Like people get up in arms that Titans weren't voted into the Pro Bowl. And I'm like, who cares? So I guess I should probably say the same thing the here. Colts had seven Pro Bowlers allegedly, and how did that work out for them? Well, you no, know, it's right. Who cares? I guess I need to say who cares. Roman Yossi, who cares? I, I don't know. I, I just it's seems- interesting to me is we've made such a big deal about whether or not these players should go to the Olympics, right? And yet they're going to Las Vegas for uh, all-star weekend like that there's only one reason for that it's all about the money um all right 
before we hear from from a, a pissy Leon Dreisaitl, let's. I, I want to talk King of all stars. Yeah. So Predators goal scoring. So I looked at some of the, the the goal scoring on this team, and it doesn't. It goes without saying that they've got, you know, again Forsberg, based on his current pace, nineteen goals, twenty eight games, extrapolated out. He's on a 55 goal pace, but based on because we're at the halfway mark right now, they played 41 games. Mm-hmm. So, but but based on just his pace for the first half, assuming he plays all 41 games the second half of the season, he would score 46 goals. That would obviously be a massive leap over Victor Arvidsson's single season record. Matt Duchesne is on pace for 37 goals, which would also be a single season Nashville Predators goal scoring record. Roman Yossi on pace for 27 goals. Joe Ryan Johansson. On pace for 23 goals. Yakov Trenin, that's right, Yakov Trenin on pace for 21 goals. Luke Cunnan on pace for 16. And then Philip Tomasino, Nick Cousins, Colton Sissons, Ellie Tolvanen, and Mikhail Granlin all on pace for double digit goals. That would give them a 40 goal scorer, a 30 goal scorer, and six 20 goal scorers, and then 12 players with double digit goals. Now, Adam Bingen, can you tell me? the Predators' single-season franchise records for 30-goal scores in a single season? Hmm. This is, not, this is not a trick question. I'm trying to think if Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson each scored 30 goals in the same season. Twice. They did it, they did it twice. That's the answer. So 16 and 17, two 30-goal two scores. And then 2006, there were two 30-goal scores. The record, nice. the record for 20-goal scorers on a Predators roster in a single season is actually six in 2007. They had six 20-goal scorers. They had five 20-goal scorers in 06. So those two years, they've never done that ever before or since. They've never had more than four 20-goal scorers in a single season. That is the record. The record number of goal scorers with 15 goals or more, also in 2007, with nine. Right now, they'd be on pace for, I think, seven of those. So they would not break that record. And then 12 double-digit goal scorers would actually be one shy of the record set in 2018 when they had 13 guys score at least 10 goals. So nobody's ever scored 40. They would have two guys in the 30s. They would have six guys in the 20s and then six more guys in double digits. And a lot of these guys are very young. Is this the best collection of goal-scoring weapons this Nashville Predators franchise has ever had? That's a good question. Um, I would have to go back and look at the the individual scorers back maybe in like the which whichever seasons Paul Correa was here, you know Steve Sullivan. I, I'm wondering I'm wondering what what those teams might be like. But what's interesting to me is what's one what's been one knock against this team for years and years and years. Uh, you know you alluded to it that this team is perhaps too reliant on its defensemen for scoring. So I'm currently looking at right now regular season scoring by forwards in the NHL. So this is the number. So this is ranked from the teams that the most goals from forwards this season. So Florida is number one in the league at this moment as we record this with 137 goals by forwards this season, which is 17 clear of the next team, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Predators are tied for 10th with Carolina. Although they've played five more games than Carolina, they have 106 goals this season that have been scored by forwards. Um, I, I have to imagine that if you go 
year by year, the Predators are probably near the bottom of the league in that particular category. 2007, David Legwan led the team, tied with Jason Arnott, 27 goals each. So nobody got to 30 that year. Paul Correa had 24. Steve Sullivan had 22. Scott Hartnell had 22. J.P. Dumont had 21. And Alexander Radulov had 18. Shea Weber had 17. Martin Erat, 16. Kimo Timonen, 13. So that that's a pretty healthy collection of guys at the top of that team. They also scored 110 points that year. Number two all-time to the team that won the President's Trophy a couple of years ago. So this none of this is like earth-shattering stuff here. But they didn't have a single guy go over 30. If, if you want to say that that's the best collection of goal scoring forwards that this team's ever had. I'm fine with that, but they didn't have a single guy go over 27. Like right now, Roman Yossi would finish third on the team on pace for 27 goals. They'd have to, again, Forsberg and Duchesne got a chance to get to 40 this year. So, so last season, last season, the predators were 22nd in the league in goals from forwards with 128 in 2019, 20, they were also they were 20th. So they've made great strides over these past couple of years in terms of the number of goals scored by forwards. So that would that would help your argument. From, um, here's the, here's the other thing from this is just a pre-strike pre-rule change note. Um, from 99, the first year of the franchise through 04 before the strike, they had zero 30 goal scores. Obviously, they only had they had a single 20 goal scorer in every season but one. Meaning 99, 120 goal score, 01, 02, 03, 04. They had one guy get to 20 goals on the entire team. In 2000, they had two. But that that's also that's not a statement necessarily about the Preds. That's a statement about the NHL before the rule changes. But even then, they they came out firing in 06 and 07, and it's been nothing but you know two guys in 2010, two guys in 11, two guys in 12 gets to 20 goals. Like this is you know this is this is not a new problem for the Predators. I, I do think that it, it is a good sign that this team is, is scoring more up front than it is from the back end. I mean, even in their president, excuse me. Yeah. in their president's trophy season, they were 14th in the NHL in goals from forwards. So a, a top half, a top, you know, top half of the league, but still near the middle. Um, and look, it's great that this team has had high scoring defensemen. Roman Yossi, Shea Weber, you know, Ryan Ellis, the, you know, Matias Ekholm's had a big year or two goal scoring wise, you know, you can go back even further, um, you know, Kimo Timonen, like it's great that this team has had so many defensemen that can put the puck in the back of the net, but it's also highlighted the fact that this team has struggled to find forwards that can do the same thing. And you're seeing this season, a lot of different forwards step up in that regard. So I, I, I think it's a, I think that sort of that supports your argument. And if the third line of this team is, you know, in all in, like in, in a perfect world, again, Tanner, Janot, Yakov, Trennan, and who, who's the who's Colton Colton says, sorry, Colton says, I don't know. Why I drew blank on that. Janot's on pace for 24. Trennan's on pace for 21 and Sisson's on pace for double digits. That'd be 50 goals from your third line. That's not a thing that happens for the National Predators. No, it's not. Now I would love to see what their combined shooting percentage is <laughs> <laughs> and and see, you know, which I can easily do and see if it's sustainable, but you know, I I, it's 41 I, games. I think I know. I think I think your I think your argument is sound. And and Granlund with 5 goals is way below his normal average. 
Right. I would expect Ellie Tolvin and Tomasino to have some stretches of really good hockey where they're scoring goals. So yeah, you're you're talking about this, and Ellie Tolvanen hasn't scored a ton this year. Nope. Mikhail Granlund hasn't scored a ton this year. Um, so the Predators are 14th in the league in five-on-five shooting percentage at 8.1 percent. So it's not like they're shooting the lights out. I I think if this continues, it will be the best set of goal scoring players that this team has ever had in a single season. That's a spicy meatball, my friend. <laughs> spicy, spicy take. All right. Um, um, spicy. All right. Let's get to another spicy take. Here yes. was a quick interaction between a media member covering the Edmonton Oilers and Leon Dreisaitl. Lots of reasons for why the Oilers are playing the way they are in terms of winning and losing. What do you think is the number one reason for the losses now is there is there one thing that you in your own mind you're saying we got to get better at that yeah we have we have to get better at everything would you like to expand on that nope you can do that you know everything why are you so pissy leon hmm? why are you so pissy i'm not i'm just I, answering your yeah you are whenever i ask you a question i gave you an answer not very good one okay I have one more for you. Leon, you show your frustration on the ice last game against Ottawa. Is that a good thing when you show it so the other team knows you're frustrated? Yeah, it's a great thing, for sure. Good. Yeah. So, Adam, if you want to set this up here as a reporter who sits in spicy press conferences routinely, um, (laughs) I, I would say, number one, I don't think coming back at a player with why are you so pissy is a, a professional or B productive question by the media member. I think that's, I think that so was, let's, a, so I, I don't like that, but dry saddle gave garbage answers to every one of those questions. He's obviously frustrated. He could have given better answers. This is, this is sort of the impasse that happens in press conferences. This is my, this is what every Titans reporter has to deal with, with Mike, Mike Vrabel every day. So let's set the scene. So it appears that this was an in-person press conference, not a Zoom conference, but it was in the formal setting that we're used to now versus the more personal one-on-one interaction. So the reporter in question is Jim Matheson, who is actually honored in the Hockey Hall of Fame in the journalism wing of the Hockey Hall of Fame, has been covering the Edmonton Oilers since their heyday um, when they were a dynasty. Um Leon Dreisaitl is, I guess you could say, notorious for being a bit dry, um, though I haven't had any interactions with him. I've watched enough press conferences to know that when he's in a, when he's quote unquote pissy, this is what he's like. Now, it's important to watch that entire clip, um, not, not, not just the clip that we played that was shared across social media, but the entire raw interview session from Edmonton. The other day and and i believe it was jim matheson who tried to get some more out of Con- uh, connor mcdavid and though i'm sure connor mcdavid may have been equally quote-unquote pissy um at that line of questioning um it, you know it appears that this extended beyond the questions that we heard in that clip um but it, it led to an interesting discourse on social media yesterday um about the how the uh, pandemic has absolutely wrecked the dynamic between reporters 
um, and players in terms of how we go about doing our jobs under normal circumstances. Jim Matheson may have tried to conduct that interview with, with, um, with Leon Dreisaitl in a one-on-one setting, and perhaps the same interaction could have come out of that, but they could have also hashed things out. They could have also, you know, come up with a more, uh, equitable solution, I guess you could say, to what each of them is trying to do. I don't know. The point is, is that when you're looking at how the pandemic has ruined player reporter relationships, I think that that in all sports, not just in hockey, I think you have to include that clip in the uh, in the slideshow. I think you're right that it's it's not that the emotions would change, that the question might change. It's that how the two human beings interact would change. Correct. That, that's the that's what's missing here is that there's a human element here. Yes, there there is a human element. And there have been times, you know, there have been times where, you know, I may not have phrased a question the way that I would have liked. And perhaps it came off as more combative than intended or more leading than intended. And in the before times, you could say, this is what I meant to say. This is what I I remember. <laughs> This is not a this is not a um, an argument, but I remember we mentioned Brian Boyle earlier in, in in the show. So in one of Brian's first games with the Predators, I think he had a uh, he had a, a, at least one goal, maybe a couple goals in the game. And I asked him a question in the in the press scrum after the game when we were allowed to be in the dressing room, and I have no idea. It, it was word vomit. It was word vomit. And Brian Boyle, who does not suffer fools, was like, <laughs> I have no idea what you just asked me. But then then answered the question as he thought I would, you know, answered the question as a professional. After the scrum was over, I said, this is what I meant to ask you. Like, I definitely did not get it out the way I intended in that situation. But this is what I meant to ask. And then he gave me an excellent answer because I was able to explain myself. I was like, I'm sorry I diarrhea verbally all over you just now. This is what I meant to say. And he ended up giving me a great quote from what, you know, so in, in those situations, you can, you know, in, in more personal situations, you can hash things out. Like Jim Matheson is not going to have an opportunity, most likely, to have a one-on-one, a tete-a-tete with Leon Dreisel and say, hey, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. That's probably not going to happen. And now, most likely, you know, this will, you know, this will, you know, this will, you know, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, disappear. no, it won't matter. Yeah, it'll disappear. And they'll go back to doing their jobs like it never happened. But the opportunity to have those conversations that are important for maintaining those relationships are harder to come by in these settings. No question about was, it. And that was an example of that. No question about it. Uh, I don't think I would ever say to a player in a situation like that, why are you pissy? Yeah. Like that is yeah. not like, in, in, like I might, you know, I would, I might, once the interview was over, be like, what's going on? Like you're clear, like clearly something's amiss here. Like what's wrong. And the player might say something and you hash it out and then it's fine. But like, I don't think I would ever say in an on the record situation, why are you being pissy? Like, I, I don't know. Well, um, and, and this goes to the Rabel thing, like fans, the first question wasn't, there was nothing wrong with the first question. The team's not playing well. The fans want to know why you're not, you may not have, you don't have to like unveil state secrets and turn over like top secret documents to just say, look, our forecheck wasn't good enough tonight. We're not playing with the same physical mentality that we normally play with. Like there's a million ways 
to answer the question thoughtfully and still be pissy inside your own brain, <laughs> like as a coach or a player. So he was giving garbage answers. The follow-up was also garbage. And I'd like to, I, I agree with you that if those two were doing that by themselves and not in a, a virtual zoom sort of world that we now live in, I'm not suggesting that was zoom, but like the world we now live in with interactions where the, the barriers are so tall to, to create relationships he probably gets a better answer out of the player and he probably doesn't ask the same question. So um, this is where we are, man. I, I agree. It's, it's I worth like, pointing out. I would like to address are. something. I would like to address something. It just popped into my head. I would like to address something unrelated to this topic. Um, we've gotten a lot of questions about it. I think somebody tweeted it at us the other day. And I've also gotten a lot of questions about it um, on the athletic about John Hines, contract situation. We've, we've received a lot of questions. I've received a lot of questions about this, and I just want to make something clear. Um, so John Hines, as everybody knows, well, not everybody knows, but lot, as most people know, is in the final year of his contract. This is the final season of the contract. So when, when John Hines, if my understanding is correct, when John Hines was fired by the Devils and hired by the Predators, the Predators honored John Hines' existing contract with the Devils and then tacked on an extra year. So this is that extra year. My understanding is that the Predators have a team option to add another year to John Hines' contract for next season. So I think that's important context when discussing okay. John Hines' contract situation. My understanding is that, yes, this is the final year of his contract, but the Predators have a built-in option to extend it for another year. And, and we will have... All kinds of time next week on the show to dive deeper into the John Hines contract situation. Uh, not the last 45 seconds of the show. Adam, I'm sorry. Good I should have mentioned this no, you're earlier. Good. You're good. Pay for good journalism. Go to The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Vingan. You can follow me at Braden Gall. Go to Jaspers, everybody. The Gold Standard, of course, brought to you by the great people over at Jaspers, the next evolution of the sports bar. Great drink specials for Nashville Predators games, home and road, and order yourself a Gold Standard named after this here show. Thank you guys all for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Enjoy the games. you got Winnipeg, Detroit, and, of course, uh, Kraken coming up next week. So we'll be back next week to talk all things Smashville right here on the Gold Standard. Thanks for listening, everybody.